Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. In season two, I'm going to be exploring some experts and asking them what freedom means for them and trying to help people work to live and not live to work. Trying to help people add life to their years and not just years to their life. So let's dive on in and here's season two. Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Freedom Fridays podcast, where I have my guest today is Alison Cameron. Now, Alison actually were colleagues for a while, way, way back. One of the first uh, colleagues I had coming to Australia and Alison has gone on a very uh, different uh, journey since then. Uh, she is a published author. She is um, published in many forms, I believe, which I'm looking forward to finding out. So it was a bit of a coup for me to to catch Alison at this point in her journey to uh, ask all things about freedom. So Alison, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Pete. And so lovely to reconnect with you. I know I've, I've found my fault and your fault, you know, everyone's fault. The pandemic has forced media and given us an opportunity to reconnect with people yeah. in a way that we'd never have imagined before. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of magic that can come through these disruptions, right? Yeah. 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 So Alison, I start the podcast with the same question and it's really in the work that you do and the people that you work with, what does freedom mean? It's such an interesting question, Pete. Um, it could be answered at so many levels and I think it's very divergent. So if I was to ask that question of my client base, the response that they give would be more based on really where they are in their evolutionary journey. Mm. And so I think it would range from everything from freedom to be myself more, mm -hmm. freedom to have more sense of authority and autonomy in the decisions I can make as a leader. And, um, and that could range from everything. You know, I have CEOs that I've worked with, for example, that feel stifled by the board. So I think yeah. often we, we think once you get to a certain role of leadership, then there's so much freedom and, and autonomy. And yet it doesn't really exist when we take our authority from a role. It does start to exist when we take our sense of authority more internally and from a sense of um, our own internal compass. Mm. And so I think the commonality that would sit across all of the people that I work with, and, and I work with many leaders all around the world from different cultures, 
different kinds of organizations and different contexts would be the sense of, I'd like to be able to be more myself. Mm-hmm. Whether that is this sense of being able to apply the values that they hold dear within their context more readily mm-hmm. and with less pushback or less resistance from the various systems. Mm-hmm. Whether it be choosing my own work hours and so I'm not such a slave to the round-the-clock meetings and and. Yeah. The, the demands, the freedom to have more time for my family or more time for my creativity. And yet what sits underneath that, Pete, I believe there are, there are two constructs. The first is the, the construct of our ego. And so what sits within that is I'd like to be free from limiting scripts, limiting stories of self that I have created to some degree or co-created with my external reality through my life from my own limiting beliefs. Mm. And then there's an important aspect that I think those of us who are very privileged often don't consider enough. And that is freedom from the scripts of our society, freedom from the limiting beliefs of capitalism, for example. Mm -hmm. or economic structures and systems, political structures and systems, social structures and systems. And those systems that we exist in inform our internal dialogue or our internal story of self and vice versa. Mm. And so they're not two separate parts. They're actually part of a much larger system. And yet my sense is similarly to the movie The Matrix where we want to get unplugged. Most of us at a deep level, whether we recognize it or not, would like to be unplugged. And so the people I work with might vocalize that desire for freedom and liberation in a multitude of ways. And yet that desire to be able to be more fully myself, more fully my true nature, comes from, you know, from deep within, from a place that is often scary for people to even sit with. Yes. Wow. I'll look, I, I, I'm going to start with the immediate thing that strikes me, and that's almost the first thing you said. You know, being myself more. Um. Uh, you know, you and I have explored that question for a long time, and probably in different ways. And when we talk about that, certainly when I talk about or raise that sort of idea or concept with clients, um, there's often a recognition. Yes, I want to be myself more. But I often wonder if they know what they mean by that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, there's a calling, there's a something, there's an itch, there's a scratch, there's something they kind of go, yeah, but I don't know what it is. So for could you just give uh, us a take on when you when we talk about, you know, be yourself, be myself more. What does that mean? What, what's missing? What, what are we not being? that's myself that is kind of hiding in the background? First, I'd like to tackle the first part of what you just said, Pete, which is they don't know what that means. And I I really resonate with that. In our world, we have taken away the value of asking the question, who am I? Mm -hmm. 
And part of eroding that value has been the need to come up with some kind of a constructed, mental, rational answer to that question. Mm -hmm. But that question opens up a journey, actually, right? And it's not a journey with a final destination, necessarily. Well, the coffin. <laughs> maybe. Well, maybe depending not. On your belief system. <laughs> maybe, maybe not, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe that's just the beginning of a, of a whole other inquiry. Mm. Um, however, for, yeah, for a lot of people, the, the beginning of discovering what is that, that I would like to be more of, it, it begins with asking that question, but to ask it without needing an answer hmm. and to delve into that opportunity to explore. And you asked then later in, in, in what you were sharing about what is it that's lacking and I would say we are disconnected as humanity. So, mm -hmm. so that disconnection through our technological advancement has likely become stronger. Yep. We are relating more with screens or through screens, many of us, than with other human beings. And there's always something slightly artificial in those relationships. You can get them very close to, to deep authenticity. And of course, you know, sometimes I actually have to ask myself, have I met that person face-to-face -face yet? <laughs> yes. because, because we've created such a, a deep connection through technology. So, so I'm not saying deep connection isn't possible, but it, there's roadblocks to get through to make that happen, right? Now, that's just one symbol of disconnection mm -hmm. uh, that, that was happening even before we, we had smartphones at our fingertips 24-7. Yep. And that is that we have disconnected with our wildness as human beings. Okay. We've disconnected from uh, a, a, a non-constructed creative force with that sense of true nature, the things that naturally come come out of us like I can't recall the actual the speaker but it was a beautiful TED talk on education and one of the quotes in that and, and, and creativity one of the quotes was we'll have to find it and put it in the link underneath mm. this podcast so, so can someone yes, yes exactly that we are not uh we don't lose we don't find our creativity we lose it we lose it ironically through education through education right mm. so if you look at a lot of our systems that have been constructed from a certain worldview, our education system, our justice system, our economic mm. systems, our political systems, and that worldview that we currently breathe in through all of these systems and, and institutions, including our education system, they're not liberating. They're not necessarily supportive of freedom in the human being, of a human being getting to know themselves at a deep level, at asking those questions, who am I? Because I tell you what, asking that question, who am I? We really go down that rabbit hole. That is a political statement and it is dangerous to status quo forces. It is dangerous to the power brokers that are currently reaping egoistic or materialistic benefits from holding these systems in place. Because as soon as we actually go down that rabbit hole, as soon as we start to unplug from that matrix, that's going to disrupt all of those systems that are already getting disrupted, right? Mm. But it's going to raise them to the ground so something new can rebirth. 
I remember years ago reading a book, I think it was Jack Cornfield. The title was um, First the Ecstasy, Then the Laundry. Okay. Now, I can't remember the, the actual essence of it. My take on the title was, yes, you can seek and ask these beautiful questions around who am I? What's my contribution? What's my purpose? At what evolutionary stage? And yet for some, I'd probably argue most of us are in relationship with people, jobs, pets, families, societies, communities. And for me, the laundry part was, and yet I still got to pay the electricity bill and yet I've still got to eat and yet I've still got to fix the roof because it's raining. All that kind of pragmatic, uh, necessary to some degree stuff. And yet here is me on the other side going, yeah, and Pete, I, I am. It's a, it's a real, I struggle sometimes with that balance. Yeah. And I would argue, Eve, I don't even know if I've ever got it in balance. Yeah. Maybe it's because we think we need to, or we see them as two contradictory forces, right? Mm. When I hear first the ecstasy in the laundry, well, the laundry needs to get done regardless, but, but, but I can either feel constrained by that action or my interior state of liberation can be non-affected mm. by by that activity mm. so I don't see it as as a, a polarity that we have to balance I see the laundry as an activity that can be infused with soul okay interesting <laughs> infused with ecstasy and by infusing that activity with the ecstasy of my inner liberation uh, then the opportunity for, I don't know, even better laundry outcomes become available, right? <laughs> <laughs> I might innovate my, uh, my laundry routine through that ecstatic dance I do with it. So uh, I, again, I'd be, I welcome your observations then. Based on my comment, would that suggest that in that moment, in, the, in this kind of conversation, at that time, I was seeing, you know, just the metaphor of the ecstasy and the laundry as a polarity, as opposed to something that's interdependent. Well, from what you were saying, you were saying you haven't found the balance. And I, I, I find the, the, whenever we we come up with this idea of needing to, to balance something, often it's yeah, there's an by either a, and all, yeah. a, a, an either or thinking. I don't know. You tell me, um, mm. is that what, how you are approaching it? I, I don't know what I was approaching it with my comment around I, I rarely find the balance is I rarely find that whatever the ends of any polarity or if there's a three dimension or four dimensional one, it's rarely at, it's rarely still. It's always oscillating one way or the other. So the circumstance, I'm, I'm led a little bit by circumstance if this requires attention, then that requires attention, which, yeah. which is making me think of, you know, again, that simple but profound and never asked, never ending seeking of the answer, even if there is an answer, like you said, there probably isn't, you know, be yourself more. If I start with, well, who are you, Pete? I go, well, I'm, I'm me. Yeah. Or, uh, well, I'm Pete. Uh, and, well, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a colleague, I'm a friend, I'm a, and, you know, I don't know, a dozen or so different roles that I play. Yeah. Is, is there something, again, not directionally, but is there something above or beneath that that brings that all together? My experience is yes. Okay. Yeah. So as soon as we identify with name or role, 
to me, that's a, a, a very limiting construct. When we were born at our first breath, there was an essence in the same way, you know, if we would like to use the archetype of a tree, the essence yep. of the whole tree is in the seed. Yep. When we were born, we didn't have a role. Some of us didn't have a name. Some of us already had a name that was chosen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah. uh, but, but for many of us, we didn't. And yet there was still a natural self. There was still an essence there of uh, perhaps, you know, unmanifested uh in 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 our i guess material existences yet yeah but an essence there to be expressed and in the same way as it was sir kenneth that you said you know said that we don't learn creativity we unlearn it i think we unlearn who we are we unlearn that sense of essence mm. and we have to so that process isn't wrong and in every society at every time there's been an experience yeah. of enculturalization right where we learn social norms we learn how to, you know, fit in in a certain construct, how to do the laundry in the time that we're born into. And, you know, if we continue on that metaphor, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a particular stage and a, a particular phase of life. And I think for a lot of us, we get stuck there. So once we learn how to do the laundry well, we learn how somewhat, and some people never learn, and that's okay too, but we learn how to somewhat navigate our existence we, we kind of stop there and we stop with role and name and, and, and we seek to, you know, I guess do the very best we can with that, within that construct. And yet there's yeah. a whole other world we can open into. And for me, that's uh, in my book, I call that beyond level A leadership. If we're looking at it from a leadership perspective, mm -hmm. and that is stepping into the realm of soul and, and, and to a large degree, while we can still use the skills that we were, we had to use to become, you know, respectful, effective members of a society. We no longer are constrained by those tools and skills. Yeah. Mm. So we can use mm. them and yet our consciousness is beyond them. Um, and in fact, it opens up a whole other journey. And, and my argument would be that what is keeping us in a, in a, in a very challenging time as humanity is that we have become very happy with staying in the status quo of, yep. of this very rational, very uh, dry, very commercial, very, uh, I guess, you know, people would call it a masculine sort of patriarchal type of mindset yep. um, without moving into the mystery. Yeah, so we've kind of I rationalized ourselves out of the mystery and yep. for me, where we move beyond the idea of I'm now doing the laundry, I'm now in ecstasy, and it's either more of one and more of the other, and into an integration of those forces is where we start to see things in a very circular way, which is far more feminine mm. if we look at the traditional feminine, right? Yeah. So in that circle, there might be some more laundry and some more ecstasy, but they're not counterbalancing each other. They're just part of a... Yeah a circular experience and that ecstasy or consciousness travels with us right through the circle. What, what struck me in what you said is there's a couple of things. Let, let me ask the first one. Um, are we happy in the status quo or is the mystery so uncertain? I'm not willing to risk it. What's your experience of that Pete? For me, it's more the latter. And I, I'll tie that to a, a, a personal thing without <laughs> revealing any confidence 
or anyone listening. Um, tied to this, oh, oh, there'll be many times, many times sounds like it's all day, every day. It's not. But in personal situations, I'm particularly in client interactions. If I'm really me and really say what I'm thinking and feeling, I probably wouldn't get many engagements. And personally, um, because, you know, part of the exploration I've gone through of myself is I'd love to get deep with Alison quickly, right? Let's, let's do the cliche. How are you? How is the weather? Yeah, yeah. Now let's get into fears, hopes, dreams, and concerns as quick as we can, because that's what I want to talk about. So personally, sometimes I can, and I do it deliberately. Um, I can be really inappropriate because I'm trying to provoke people out of the comfort. I'm trying to provoke them out of the state. I don't necessarily agree with the provocation, but I'm doing it just to stir the pot. And of course that bumps up against ego and certainty and all of the things that means that's now upsetting. That's now, you know, not that I'm necessarily offending or offensive, but that can be taken that way because it's stirring them into look in the mirror to these questions like, who are you? And like we say, sometimes that's not my, it's not my role or I don't have permission to even ask the question in that moment and that time. So much in what you've just said, Pete, the first piece I'd love to share a perspective on mm. is the idea that if I was fully myself and said exactly what I was on my mind, I wouldn't get the, get the gig. <laughs> You know, and, and I guess underneath that, I wonder if it's, you know, I'd break the relationship in some way. I don't know if that's, that yeah. resonates for you. Yeah, you know, the so. relationship would not be. Yeah. At a pragmatic level. Salvageable at that pragmatic level. Yeah. And I guess my approach to that is, is more of an interior approach. So, mm -hmm. so my experience of being myself fully in every interaction is not determine on am I speaking what's in my mind uh -huh. it's am I fully in my heart yeah mm -hmm. operating from my essence yeah my sense of truth um and also cognizant of what the appropriate intervention is in this moment in time to support that person mm -hmm. that system that team yep. that situation to its next stage of evolution yeah now, if that's a provocation, I'm very blessed in life, not because I've had money, but because I have not had a driver around money. Mm -hmm. And while I haven't had vast amounts of intergenerational wealth supporting me in my life, mm -hmm. I have had the privilege of being white, yeah, being yep. an Australian, Yep. And being born in Australia, regardless, you're already in the 1% most wealthy people in the world, even if you're living on government benefits. Let's put yep. that in perspective. Yep. Um, and um, also coming from an upbringing where I didn't have to worry about food being put on the table, right? Mm -hmm. so, so, so I have to acknowledge all of that privilege and opportunity that, that has enabled me to, to also feel a sense of I can take risk in this space. And I've always taken risk in regards to, to money. 
because for me, I'd rather than sell my soul, even a fragment of it for a dollar. And that's always been, you know, the deep, the deep sense that I've had, and which is also, you know, I think a, a real privilege because that enables me to take risk. Mm-hmm. So if inside of myself, I perceive that the intervention required to support that group towards the next stage in their evolution is a provocation, then it will be a provocation. However, if my sense is actually what this group needs now is just a safe space to explore what is currently on their mind, and that's the foundation that's required, and maybe provocation happens in six months, then I'm not going to vomit (laughs) what I perceive onto that group for the sake of the relief that that gives me. And so I think that's that's a that's the, uh, my, the the approach that that feels resonant for me. And I think for this comes back to that question of authenticity because this word authenticity, authentic leadership, has been, you know, uh, popularized. And as soon as something becomes popularized and commodified, it often takes it down to its most basic, primitive, not primitive in a naturalistic sense, but um, non-complex yeah (laughs) Um, non-systemic resonance and I think for a lot of people they just go I'm just going to vomit my my thoughts and feelings on you and that's authentic and that's authentic leadership right (laughs) yes Um, (laughs) and I would argue that there needs to be a little bit more nuance in that because that might be authentic but it's not leadership because leadership is being able to, from my perspective, you know, A, it's being able to come from our naturalness, from leadership qualities like compassion, patience, bringing perspective, right? And being able to see a system or a person or a team's potential and know what nourishment to give it at any given stage in time. And sometimes you might need to cut down the tree but most of the time it just needs some water or some fertilizer or maybe some of the surrounding weeds need to be removed. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I think that, that like psychological safety, which I, I have a real problem with where that's gone in the vernacular, uh, authentic yes. leadership, you know, just so many of these terms have been misinterpreted and dumbed down so that when we use them, we, we, we really don't know what we're talking about. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I, you know, to use the analogy, I'm, I, I'm, I would probably, I'd, I'd position myself as only on the next page. Uh, and I see it so often with things like authentic leadership, psychological safety, growth mindset. Yeah. It's been so popularized and dumbed down that actually the words yeah. that are being used is completely counter. Yeah. to what some of the original definitions That's have right. been. That's right. That's right. And it's it's fascinating and frustrating. <laughs> it is. It is. It is fascinating and frustrating. So, so Pete, I mean, I, you know, you you started by saying, you know, um, that 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 perhaps it will break the relationship. My experience of of when I really tune into not just what's in my own consciousness, but what's appropriate to the other party, is mm. I haven't lost too many relationships through that journey. And the ones that I have lost have probably been a beneficial loss for me, certainly. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I was I was exaggerating a little bit. I think the key word for me is no. I hear that. Yeah, yeah. Is nuance. It's knowing when and where and how and with who and and coming from a place of you know compassion, um, love, connection, community. Yeah. If that's the intention, uh, I might ask or tell. Yeah, exactly. I might be silent or say something. And yeah. I don't know necessarily we, we ever get that absolutely right. But my sense is if we come from that place, usually that's what's picked up. Yeah. Whether we get the question right. That's right. Maybe, maybe not. But it's more, yeah. there's some, there's a deeper sense of connection between two or more humans yeah. that picks up that energetic intention. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing, I'm not provoking you out of my sense of ego, yeah, or what's good for me, I'm provoking out of a sense of care for you. And that's what I'm hearing you say. And 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 absolutely I would I would have a, a strong resonance with that. Uh, and again, so any 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 of my clients that are listening would go, you don't do that, Pete. I go, yep, you're right. <laughs> there is some ego in there sometimes, inevitably. Um and I'd be interested in you sharing your thoughts on that because the word ego is an interesting word. And again, I'm sure it's used in many circumstances where it's not really fully understood. And when you say, you know, even in a group setting, to even build some sense of safety in conversation, and you mention, you know, our, our egos are here to protect us, you can almost see people, you know, bristling and going, I don't have an ego. I'm, I'm not egotistical. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, we all are. Yeah. You know, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. So do you have a do you have a view on how someone might navigate that? Uh navigate what? The the sense of ego that we have one and it's oh. there for a reason. And yeah. it's sometimes a helpful reason. Yeah. The challenge with ego is when the ego is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, that unhealthy ego can manifest very narcissistically. And by the way, this narcissism is fed by our consumeristic, materialistic driven society, right? So, mm. so please, no one listen, feel like it's your fault. <laughs> but yeah, you know, yeah. we can blame we can blame these external systems, but but it is our responsibility once we have an ego and a construct and a story of self then when as adults to know what to do and as at its extreme through arrogance as you just shared you know this sense of egotism mm. or yep. through massive self-doubt it's the same force at different sides of a polarity here so for people okay. who for people who say oh you know I really don't believe in myself and I don't feel I have anything to offer. I'm not confident. That is ego. That is the same self-protective ego manifesting at one side of the polarity as someone who says, I'm uber confident. I always get things right. Both are signs of unhealthy egos. If we think about ego as the personality construct that's that that's been created, yeah. um, one level of it is self-protective, of course. Sure. Now, we can if we think of the ego as like a horse, 
And I haven't done a lot of horse riding, but my daughter, when she was young, she was really into horse riding. And so I did a couple of treks with her and, and we, you know, I, I, I've been exposed to that a little bit. And when you're riding a horse, you have to let it know where to go mm -hmm. and what to do. We mm -hmm. think of the ego as a horse, right? Is the ego riding us or are we riding the ego? We also need to form a relationship and connection with that horse. That's... We need to have respect and love for it. Mm -hmm. We need to feed it. We need to brush it. We need to wash it, all of those things. So it's not about making the ego wrong, yep. but it's about being able to observe it. And if we can observe that ego, then we know we're bigger than that construct. The very fact that we can observe a self-protective thought. I can observe I'm uber confident. And look, some people are completely wedded to their ego and can't observe it. So the first skill we teach is observation. Yep. Observation of your thoughts and feelings. Questioning, mm -hmm. is that the only thought or feeling that might be possible in this situation, yep. right? But for most people, it's quite easy to develop an opportunity to observe that ego at play. Mm. How can we then help that ego to be healthy? By healthy, it doesn't mean uber confident and in a narcissistic, yep. psychopathic tendency kind of mode. <laughs> yeah. But it also doesn't mean that I am a doormat, mm -hmm. right? I'm able to have discernment in my world. Mm -hmm. And then I start that, that who am I question needs to go beyond the ego. And when the who am I question goes beyond the ego, then we start to find a different source of power. And then lovingly, we can start to, in the same way that we might mold some clay into a beautiful pot, mm -hmm. we can look at that ego and maybe it's a bit of a mess right now, but we can create something of beauty out of it. Okay, I'm going to take you back a little bit because I'm going to be a little bit indulgent here. And sure. I hadn't connected the, uh, I guess, the popularized version of ego to some of the other sides. Um, now, I would confess that I've probably been in many situations, you know, arrogant and, you know, blah, 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 blah the, the kind of unhealthy. My ego probably has shown up there on many occasions. I hadn't connected it to the other side, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And yet that's prevalent right now in me, in many situations. And I hadn't connected it to ego at all. And so if you ask the question, you don't need to do it now, but this is for listeners as well. What is that arrogance protecting me from? Um, so uh, uh, in, on the arrogance side or the fear side? On the arrogance side. When I, need, when I have the need to be overconfident or arrogant, and you mentioned earlier that the ego can be self-protective, Pete, what is, what is that arrogance protecting? Well, no, again, where, where I'm going is um, more historically, I would have been arrogant. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so, some might say yeah, you are now anyway, but more, I'm more interested for me yeah. doing a little bit of exploration on the fear side. Okay. So I was asking a leading question. So apologies for that, but let me That's make right. it really explicit for the listeners. Yeah. So mostly people that have gone to the arrogant side have gone there because they're protecting themselves from uncertainty and fear. So the mm -hmm. fact that you're now experiencing more of that uncertainty and fear, Pete, is that mm -hmm. you're leaning in. It's a beautiful, from my perspective, evolutionary step 
doesn't feel right? beautiful. <laughs> I understand that <laughs> because you're discon you, you've deconstructed some of that self-protective mechanism that probably wasn't serving you or the people around you to mm. some degree. Mm. And now the opportunity is to like be really be with from my experience that fear and uncertainty and inquire into it and and experience you know what what riches that can bring yeah and then find a different sense of confidence and I'm not just talking about you now Pete I'm, I'm really thinking yeah. about the broader listeners uh, and and in my book leadership for the new millennium there's a chapter on humility right and and we talk a lot in that chapter about false confidence mm -hmm. yeah which often looks like arrogance mm -hmm. yeah false humility which often looks like oh self-doubt mm -hmm. manifests as self-doubt but true humility comes from self-knowledge and a very accurate understanding of self to the degree we can have it um, and 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 true humility actually has has a high degree of confidence in it, yeah. That confidence of knowing who who mm. I am to some degree. Yeah, yeah. That that's hmm. that's interesting and confusing and perplexing and yeah, that's caused some uh, thought. Well, <laughs> unarticulated and <laughs> unresolved thought good good at this point at good this point. good and yeah. this is I mean as you know Pete and I uh, you would have said to many of your clients when we get to that point of confusion we are at the point of breakthrough because our normal neural pathways have been disrupted hmm. we've heard something that has unsettled even the cells in our bodies in a sense become yeah unsettled. but in that in that experience space gets created for mm. something new and I think you know coming back to what do we need to be free from I think one of the things that we need to be free, free from as human beings to reconnect with our true nature is answers we're so obsessed aren't yeah. we in our western kind of model of thinking with quickly find the answer quickly find the solution in the space between that confusion and the solution if we can stretch that out and be there for longer a lot more insight can come and then our solution won't just be to this one piece we'll find a solution that uplifts the holes that we're part of right whether that mm. hole is our whole self our whole consciousness or our whole family or our whole community or our whole team or our whole work workplace we all have have these holes or these larger holes that we're a part of. Yeah. And we spend so much time remediating or finding answers to these bits that we lose sight of the evolutionary waves that we could surf. Yeah. Um, maybe four or five years ago, I came across um, the Conscious Leadership Group. I don't know if you're familiar with them. And this principle of moving uh, from the world is done by me to the world is happening yeah. through me. Yeah. So that was a pivot moment. Now, mm. I probably stayed in the same place, mm. but looked in a different direction. And so mm. for, you know, four or five years already, I've been pondering, wondering, exploring, experimenting, you know, expressing yeah. a, a little bit more living, you know, world happening through me as opposed mm. to by me. Mm. 
Mm. And it's bloody hard. Yeah. It is bloody hard yeah. when you're yeah. trying to live a pragmatic existence yeah. in society as a husband, a father, a caregiver, yeah. an income provider, a friend, yeah. a colleague, a mate, you know, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. To let the world happen through you. Yeah. Because when what's happening through you is not supporting the pragmatic side yeah. of you. Jeez, it's so easy to go, what a lot of bollocks this is. Yeah. How do you know what's coming through you isn't supporting? I don't. I don't. Yeah. And so I, I reckon if I compare as best as I can, you know, myself today compared to myself mm. four or five years ago, my response to anything, any suggestions of coming through would have been to double down on buy me. Mm. Work harder. Sort it all out. Push yourself. Don't be an idiot. Get over it. Yeah. You know, it would have been, I guess, the, the other side of ego representation because I can fix it because most of mm. my identity or certainly a strong mm. part of my identity and journey to date mm. has happened mm. by me. Mm. Mm. So I'm, I'm not kind of, we all are, but not often in world yeah. happens to me. Yeah. It's very much right. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. And, you know, evolutionarily for me, I came across this next stage. And as I, I, I wouldn't even say I'm leaning into it, I'm looking into it mm. as opposed to leaning in. Yeah. When you're in that moment and those times when things aren't necessarily going your way mm. or the expectations that you might have for ABC. And I can think mm. of three, I won't mention them, but three th specific things mm. personally and professionally that I'm mm. going, oh my God, it's falling apart. Mm, mm. right i need to i need mm. to get some things done i need to yeah. make this happen yeah and that yeah. is such a tough mm. conversation with myself because mm. there's part of me going no no this is this is all part of it yeah you, you mentioned in one of your book um ego tests yeah I, i'm sensing this is an ego test for yeah, me yeah 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 and it's yeah. bloody hard to mm. pass the test <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes, you know, it takes a few times of failing and realizing on the other side that winning, winning for the ego didn't actually get it what it wanted in the first place. Yeah. Right. To, to then be able to, uh, to overcome that, you know, I'd like to come back to this either concept of either or mm -hmm. it's either by me or through me. Well, well, so no, my, my interpretation was, yeah, um, there's going to be parts that are the world's happening to me, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to let go entirely of all of the things that have made me in my definition successful yeah. because that's happened by me. Yeah. However, it's become overwhelming and too much pressure and yeah. you know, yada, yada, yada. Hence, yeah, I've yeah, been exploring yeah, yeah. happening yeah. through me. Now, yeah. again, I don't want to put it into a binary. Well, let's make mm. it 80-20 then. Mm. Or, or, you know, I don't I don't mean that, but I mean exploring ways, situations, circumstances where I'm able to sit with the discomfort. I'm able yeah. to sit with the fear. I'm able to sit yeah. with the dis, the 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 vulnerability yeah. and the shame. Yeah. Without trying to fix it. Yeah. In the ways that I'd normally have fixed it 10 years ago. Absolutely. Which were perfectly, it would seem relevant for then. Yeah. But not so maybe necessarily relevant for now because I'm yeah. I'm different. Yeah. So you're, from what I just heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're experiencing this through me uh, as 
things that kind of happen in my world, whether it be an internal movement or an external movement of things falling away or being disrupted. And rather than going straight into fixing it, I'm allowing myself to sit with the discomfort. Yes. Again, that's what's hard. Yes. Yes, I am. And boy, that's hard. Might I paint a picture of what might be on the other side of that? (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) And in the same way as we discussed polarity earlier as, you know, the ecstasy and the laundry. And then if we come into seeing a circle, right? As, as we become okay with not fixing, as, as the, the fixer ego can start to deconstruct, and I think this is a beautiful stepping stone, what you're doing right now, Pete, this sitting mm. with this being with this uncertainty. What can emerge on the other side is this sense that what comes through me is also by me. So that separation can start to connect. And and so in that sense, what comes through me isn't just the stuff that gets disrupted on the outside or the inside. It might be an insight. It might be a solution, but that solution is coming from a different level of consciousness. It's not coming from the ego, let's fix it. Mm. It's coming from the let me sit silently and ask the question, connect with my inner voice. Yeah, some people might call that at the intuition or the higher self Mm. or those different levels of consciousness that we can have access to or our authentic self, not the authentic ego self. There's another authentic self. Let me place the thing I'm struggling with in front of that extraordinary universal source, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. and just ask the question and perhaps an insight will come and you will then as a human being and as a healthy ego pick up that insight and do something with it put it into action and yep. this is where I've seen you know and, and you might already be doing this Pete um, to some degree I imagine you are is that as we start to apply our activity the by me from a different level of consciousness Mm-hmm. That separation of through and by is healed. And I say healed because it feels like a healing because uncertainty and vulnerability is no longer associated so much with the shame. And it's a cracking open into something creative. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't connected. Yeah, I hadn't connected the insight from through me to then I can take something and make it happen. There's a, I I think, you know, the way, again, we're educated and particularly in the West, we are taught to compartmentalize a lot. Yeah. Yeah. This is the way our brain and, and there are some wonderful, I mean, gosh, I loved, I, a couple of months ago, I sorted my spice cupboard and uh, then I got a label maker and started labeling all the spices and I, every day I open that cupboard and I have such a sense of joy with that compartmentalization and the labeling of the spices. It's just a thing of beauty. <laughs> <laughs> so I love a good compartmentalization. But when we, when we bring it so much into our, our sense of self, I think we, we miss out on the holism. And I've been mm-hmm. really lucky in my life to be exposed to, you know, the wisdom of Indigenous people. Uh, in Australia and all around the world and and to uh, work with different cultures. And I think quite naturally, I had more of a holistic sense of seeing the world. I had a, 
Uh, I was probably a bit neurodivergent from a young child. So I've always been a marginal thinker. I've always seen things a bit differently. And I've always felt more of a resonance with a, a different kind of more indigenous, more Eastern worldview. So this stuff has been more easy for me, right? right? And, and in the same way as some people are gifted artists or gifted uh, speakers, I, I don't see, it's just something that was in me. It was, it was, it was yeah. something that I didn't have to work very hard for, right? Um, and um, th that's a great blessing. But, but, but that sense of seeing things from a whole and seeing the interrelationship of things, to me, allows me to move from tangible to intangible worlds as an effortless flow. The laundry and the ecstasy are all part of the same life. Mm. The uh, uncertainty and the confidence merge and work together uh, in beautiful ways. Um, and in fact, I think in my book, I talk a little bit about, you know, this idea of yin and yang. Well, they're both part yeah. of a circle, right? Mm. I think so often we're either identified with the yang, with that might be more the by me traditionally, yep. or the yin, which is through me with, with that, failing to see those little eyes in both sides of the yin yang. Yep. They each exist in each other. And more than that, they're part of a circle. They're part of a whole. And in the same way as when I danced tango, uh, you know, years ago, and it was just so lovely. And, you know, uh, as a female, I was just able to let the male uh, lead me in that dance. But I also needed to hold my center and my core mm. and, you know, and, mm. and be part of that. We need to participate with that dance and see it as a dance. Yeah. And in that dance, the, the two opposing forces create something of beauty. Once mm. we see that, once we're able to get them to work together, but that's hard. That's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That's been my experience, you know, since I've been exposed to that information and some of those experiences, yeah. particularly when it, you know, circumstances or events or things happen that you can go, Oh, hang on. I didn't, I didn't really deserve that, but it's yeah. happened. Yeah. Oh, how have I contributed to that? And yeah. you know, that constant peering in the mirror yeah. can be exhausting. And I think in the West, it's become pathologized. Okay. So the, the self-examination has become part of this whole narcissistic construct. And, and I remember a phase of my life when I was really into personal growth and development, you know, when I was very young and like I it was like no this is actually it's taking me out of the sense of holism right I'm getting so self-obsessed with mm. you know all of these bits yeah great okay something's happened a what's my part of the mess yep. let's take even if it's one percent yep. let's take responsibility for it but sometimes stuff just happens mm. and sometimes other people are assholes Yes, right yes. <laughs> and yes. our responsibility was I didn't actually pay attention to the fact that that person was an asshole and I'm going to do more of that in the future yeah right so I think sometimes you know and this is where I love uh working with whole systems with larger systems with communities with the world you know and, and rather than you know just on myself it yeah. because I don't see a separation between the two number one Number two, there's a big wide world out there that I can get interested in. And, and, you know, I love what you said, you know, when something happens, it causes me to self-reflect. 
I my experience of a lot of Westerners um, who get hooked into personal growth is it can become unhealthy at, at right. a point. Yeah, I, I, I sense that. To inward looking, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, and so again, the, the word comes to me in nuance. Yeah. About yeah. when to, when not to. Mm. Um, I can't remember the, the part of your book, so maybe you can remember, but as I was reading some of it, what struck me was um, quite a few years ago, my uh, wife was diagnosed or potentially diagnosed with some serious disease. Mm. And so we've only just started exploring this. And we said, okay, so if this is the case, uh, and we actually named some people at the time who we would go, we don't really want them around. Yeah. Or we're going to, you know, going to move from that energy. Yeah. Which was even an interesting conversation for us to mm. have. Um, it subsequently turned out she didn't have the disease. And yet we didn't put into place the, the removing ourselves from the energy part, yeah. which we've reflected on a number of times over the years and kind of gone, why? Why didn't we do that? <laughs> Um, and I guess that's partly our sense of, you know, ego protecting us and trying to fit in. And, and I think it was the bit about you mentioned about fitting in. And if I put that into a work context or even a personal context, it's probably easier for you and I to connect mm. than it would be for you and I plus one other. I'm guessing. And then you and I plus two more and then six of us have you found that gets even harder the more people there are or actually is it easier such an interesting question I haven't really thought about it so uh, you know that'll that'll be something I ruminate on honestly I only really pay attention to fitting in with myself these days not okay. in a narcissistic way but yeah. but in the sense of uh, you know, if I'm here being myself to yep. the best of my ability with compassion and love for the people around me, yep. then that's really, I, I don't really think about the ingredients and, and I feel quite at home in, in a variety of spaces. And, and so when you say, is it easier for us to connect you and me, or would it be more difficult with a third person? I mean, there's another perspective in the room. There's another energy. There's another Mm. uh whole person to uh to to consider however it hasn't really been my experience actually okay. I mean there is a difference between one-on-one -on -one conversation yep. and I love one-on-one -on -one conversation mm. it's I wouldn't say it's more difficult or harder it's just like it's something different I think when okay. there's other people in the space however what you said about your wife's and I'm so glad that she's well and healthy yep. that's wonderful news I think so often as human beings, we wait until it's complete crisis to make the choices we know in our hearts are healthy. Yep. Yep. And we see this on a macro scale. If we look at the way we've treated our beautiful home planet, yes. rather than looking holistically at the fact that mm. if we're going to transform the, the, the pollution uh, that, that, that we're creating on the planet, we need to start with the pollution of our consciousness. We need to start with our worldviews, with our relationships. Like how, how on earth would you pollute uh, the planet if you feel like you're in a deep loving relationship with it? You would not. Mm. There's something very flawed about, about our worldview, our thinking that's led to the current 
cataclysmic we're facing as a humanity, but we need mm. to start at that level. And that's that beautiful quote by Einstein. We can't solve a problem at the same level of consciousness that's created. Yeah. We have to go broader, higher, more holistic. Yep. And Pete, you know, that example you shared, I think is just priceless in that I'm sure everyone listening and I'm sure myself included, we've got those examples yeah. where right now we know what we should be doing and yet we're risking uh, ill health or, or non-emancipatory situations, yeah, yeah. <laughs> coming back to Freedom Fridays, yeah. non-freeing situations. And we're playing that off against what? Staying a bit safer and more comfortable for a few yep. moments yep. while we're the frog in the, in the water boiling and getting yeah. cooked. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to pick up on a concept because I, 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 I like the idea of this and I'm, I'm interested. Two, two questions. Um, fitting in with yourself as a concept, which I, I love. I'd love to explore that a little bit. But I'm going to start because I know in your book, you've talked about rituals and practices. Question one, binary question. Is there a difference? What's the difference between a ritual and a practice if there is one? And then secondary question, what would be some practical rituals and practices one could do that would help one fit in with oneself? Lovely. Thank you. What beautiful questions. Practice and ritual from a language perspective, I think we could get overly um, intellectual about it so let's not go there yep. the word ritual for me uh, is something I like to use because it contains a sense of sacredness okay mm -hmm. so in the book I describe actually the difference between a ritual and not a practice but uh, a, a habit when something becomes a habit, for many of us, it becomes unconscious. Mm -hmm. So most of us don't consciously brush our teeth unless yeah. we've just been to the dentist and they've yeah. told going us going to the dentist floss yes. <laughs> or yes. there'll be problems. Yeah. And then for yeah. maybe for most of us for a few weeks to a month, we'll be a bit more conscious about it. But for most of us, a habit, yeah, becomes uh, something quite unconscious. Mm. For a practice or a ritual to maintain power and to be liberating induced freedom emancipation it should be something that carries sacredness with it each time we do it so a level of consciousness mm. with it mm. so it's just as thrilling to brush my teeth tomorrow as it was today mm. because i'm i'm bringing that presence to it so uh, you know i certainly am an advocate of meditation i have been meditating since consciously since i was around 13 years of age and that was a long time ago now. This is gray hair for people who are seeing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I have meditated every single day. I've uh, done a meditation practice now for uh, 24 years, I believe. Wow. Um, no matter what's been happening in my life. And at a certain point, I tipped that into, I still sit for meditation, certainly every day, even if it's for a minute. Um, but, you know, it tips into meditative living. And I think for too many people, they have a meditation habit who meditate yep. where they sit and do whatever they do, whatever practice they do. And it's not become a ritual. They don't come to it fresh with curiosity, with vulnerability uh, each yep. time. Yep. Um, and so it stays on the meditation cushion or it stays in that section. 
but there's no good doing that kind of meditation unless it starts to really spill into meditative living. And what is that? It's being fully present and alive and fitting in with oneself and connected to our broader whole in any given moment, including when we're doing the laundry, which means that we are experiencing the ecstasy as we're doing the laundry to come back to the beginning of the conversation. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, I would say, you know, yes, I, do I sit and meditate every day? Yes. Even if it's just for a minute. And yet I don't see again, a polarity between sitting and meditating and everything else I do in my day. Yeah which is from that same spontaneously arising space of presence. Mm. So I am an advocate for meditation, but not if it's a commodified mindfulness practice to try to help you to push down your feelings and dissatisfaction with our capitalistic materialistic society and stop you from opening up the question, who am I? Uh, Meditation should be an inquiry into how can we be more natural and more flourishing as human beings? You've, okay. Sorry to interrupt. You've made a f- fantastic distinction for me, uh, particularly in the, the in the field of of meditation, because I've, I've I've known about meditation for years and I've yeah. practiced it on and off for years. Mm. And actually, probably a year before the pandemic hit, I mm. I began practicing it more often, and I've now developed a habit. Mm. I've just clicked over four in fact four hundred and first day today. Yes. of daily meditation ranging from two minutes to 20 whatever it might yes. be but the distinction you've made for me is it's become a habit but mm. not a ritual mm. Mm. so i now do it every day but mm. i don't bring the presentness i don't bring yeah. the sacredness yeah to it often enough yeah. and again if i take that beyond that it certainly doesn't necessarily translate into meditative living yeah yeah so I, you know i've i've, I've I've done the first thing. I've made yeah. it into a habit. Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, which, I, which is great. I think it's really it's good. It's great. It's, it's great. great. And now so you can enliven it. Thing, yeah, yeah. The next yeah. thing for me would be the sacredness too. Because I, yeah. again, full confession, that sometimes I would be meditating, which sounds ridiculous, as I'm firing up the laptop. Yeah. Which like, is such an incongruence. Well, not if it's spilled into meditative living, because then you're meditating as you're firing up your laptop. Um, So if you come to me and say, uh, Alison, I haven't had a whirring thought for three years and I'm in full meditative living and I meditate as I fire my laptop up, then I'll believe you. Uh, But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you know, as we develop, because we're also changing the way our brain works. And and this is the wonderful thing about having more scientific understanding in the Western construct of the way our brain works, because what ancient sages has been, have been telling us for millennia is now being proven by science. Um, and so, you know, to sit and meditate each time we do that, yeah, we're, we're rewiring our brain, we're changing our neurophysiology. Mm. And, and so that's super important. Um, mm. and, and also to create that space. Um, mm. You know, the, the ritual, I, I always love a good morning and evening ritual. And a, a lovely evening ritual is just to review the day. Mm. And you might be working on something in particular. So, you know, whether it is to fit in with myself more. Yeah, yeah we can get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, and uh, and how did, where, when today did I really get that sense that I was fitting in with myself? You know, and, and what that means is this sense of, you know, I was, I was in my heart, I was feeling a sense of center, I was being true, truthful with myself and hopefully with others. 
Yeah. Sometimes with filters, mm. because we don't want to provoke people when it's not the right time for them. You know, though, the, you know, when, when was that time that I really had that sense? And, and when, what, when didn't I? Yeah. So yep. when, when did I feel out of touch with myself or like mm. I was trying to fit in more with others than, than myself or more with a system than myself and just to observe that without judgment. So we can just do that day review, forgive ourselves for when we weren't <laughs> quite where we wanted to be. Yeah. Yep. No judgment. Just, okay. Yep. That was interesting. Take the information. That's really interesting. That was fascinating. Right. Mm. And, and, you know, have a moment of really recognizing without judgment again. Oh, okay. Those were the moments when I felt really strong in myself, felt really centered, felt mm. very much in my heart. Mm. Okay, what can I learn from that? And then just put the day down. Write down anything else remaining. Is I think we don't get good sleep, a lot of us, because we're oh. carrying our day stress and our day learnings into our night. So our night, we're just processing all that stuff. Yeah. And then we wake up tired. And then a beautiful morning ritual, even if you've got one minute, two minutes, and look, people listening, I've run businesses, I've had children, I've been through all the hideous traumas of life, right? <laughs> Just so you know, <laughs> um, I get how it's hard sometimes to find even a moment of your day and all of that stuff. So I'm, I, I, I get that. And to get to freedom, we need discipline. To get to freedom, we need discipline. And Though even if it's just one minute, two minutes, five minutes in the morning, just to find a way to center yourself, to write mm -hmm. down and, and writing things down is much more powerful to, than just saying, saying things because it actually creates yeah. a sense of embodying yeah. uh, what yeah. we're intending to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it works with different, uh, you know, circuits in our brain. Writing down what is your intention for the day? Even if it is I rem to remain in my center today. And if there's something that worries you as a stressful meeting or conversation or deadline, just imagine what is the quality that you need to embody for that situation to go as well as possible. Hmm. And you might just take three breaths, imagining that you're filling yourself with that quality. So maybe it's, I need patience in that meeting. So just before I go to work, I'm going to take three breaths. I'm going to fill myself with that quality of patience. I'm going to get that sense. And then when I'm in that meeting, I'm going to practice that. So if we can start just with a connection morning and evening, they're very simple and yet very profound rituals that don't take a lot of time. Yep. You know, you could spend five minutes in the morning and the evening, or even one minute in the morning and the evening, 30 seconds in the morning and the evening to start. And yet, that reflection will change your life and it will change your life in many ways. But one of the ways is because you are developing that amazing faculty of self-observation, which is the key to everything. If someone asks me, and they often do, what is the one skill that leaders need most right now? It is the skill of observing themselves and observing the systems they're part of. Because only once we have observed things as they are, sort of intervening in them in a positive way. The second I would say is listening. That that listening is also listening to oneself. Mm. Listening to others. Listening, truly listening, deeply listening to the systems in the world around us. Mm. So I hope that's kind of bridged those questions, Pete. 
well again in some ways it has for me so i'm, I'm good, grateful good. um i'm conscious of time allison but i have been making some notes there's a couple of there's a couple of things I do want to ask you about if you're okay with a little bit more of time. Of course, and I can I can flow this afternoon. I'm working okay, in cool. Europe tonight, so I start late. You mentioned you mentioned uh, way back earlier in our conversation that we become disconnected from our wildness. Mm. Tell me more. So, even with the wild environment, so I I spoke earlier about if we had a relationship with the planet we wouldn't destroy it. If we really felt that deep sense of kinship with the trees, uh, we would know that they are a part of us and we would know that destroying, destroying a part of ourselves will not lead us into uh, any kind of utopia. Um, mm. And if it leads us to a tech utopia, no thanks, but um, that's just a short passage of time. Yeah. So, so I think actually one of the things we can do to connect with our own inner sense of our true nature, our wildness, is to spend more time in the natural world and, mm. and actually observing our natural world. We've lost touch with what's deeply natural for us as human beings, which is connection, connection yeah. with ourselves, understanding of ourselves, as well as our natural environment. I, again, I don't see, I don't see a separation between myself and the natural environment in the way mm. many do. So I mm. see completely connected at uh, sense of connect, true connection with each other. We've lost sense of the wildness of being in community. So for so many of us who live in these very strange nuclear family constructs, yeah, highly unusual. Uh, where, <laughs> where we're, um, you know, spend most of our time working to put a roof over our heads yeah. for many of us, uh, to put our kids through school, ferry kids to activities. There's so much distraction that feels meaningful. But actually, it's just part of existing in this status quo systems that we've constructed. Mm. Mm. Um, and we get so focused on the nuclearity of that system that we forget about our responsibilities to, yes, having a healthy family, but then connecting with the broader communities and the broader world and creating health there. So, mm. so wonderful if we can start with the health of the family, but often we're not even starting there. Yeah, We're starting with the hamster wheel. So we're going through the motions of living but without aliveness in it, our life itself becomes a habit, not a ritual. Ooh. Right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so start with your nuclear family by all means, but ritualize the, the bringing aliveness to that, that system. Mm. Healthy self, alive self, connected self, rewilded self which doesn't look like running around naked in the forest all day, every day. Well, it might for some people, no judgment, <laughs> <laughs> love a bit of nudity, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. You know, but for me, and I, I operate in corporate settings. I operate in, in very material. I'm very highly pragmatic. I'm, I've got the ability to be highly commercial in my life. All of that comes with a sense of wildness. Why? Because I'm connected to a deeper sense of self. Mm. I've traveled a journey with that question. 
who am I? Never finding the end destination because I'd never like to limit my, my, myself that way. Um, and, and, and so I feel wild in everything I do including talking to my accountant about my tax, you know, every few months, like, because, because there's a, so, 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 so that there's, for me, it's that, that sense of who am I and where are we? Two questions we need to ask as humanity. These questions can take us through at least to, to our deathbed this lifetime, you know, and, and potentially beyond if that's your belief system, you know, they're so mm. rich. Who am I and where am I? Yeah. And I don't mean I'm sitting in my office. It's like, yeah. I'm on this beautiful planet. I have this amazing ecosystem around me. Yep. I'm, I'm connected to these communities, this family. And then that's our field of service. You know, a teacher mm -hmm. once said to me years ago, wherever you are is your field of service. Yeah. Wherever you are, be there. Yeah. And, um, and that's what we bring that aliveness to. Alison, thank you. Um, I'm conscious of time. So I'm going to pause there. Um, just to practical things, where can people get in touch? Um, yeah. I know you've got a book out. Yes. Leadership for out. the New Millennium. Indeed. Uh, AlisonCameron.com, Alison with one L. And uh, you can send me an email there, uh, Alison at AlisonCameron.com. I am on LinkedIn. I'm continually toying with escaping social media entirely, but I haven't yet. <laughs> I, I, I reckon when I'm retired at some point, I will just give it all up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll wait and see. But mm. um, yeah, I would love to hear from 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 anyone who... Great. I, I also understand, I'd like to let people know, I understand that some of the topics we've discussed today could feel out of reach or unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And um, start small if you're interested in exploring. And so those, those, that quote around discipline leads to freedom is very true. Yep. All of us have the opportunity to spend two minutes a day at least just being with that question, who am I? Yep. And if we can start there, uh, the whole world can, can unfold uh, in front of us. That looks, looks quite different. And by the way, I've been working with a small group of uh, leaders I, for, for some time who have been applying the principles in a, the book, applying the principles that we've discussed today. And they are all living in the world, very pragmatic, mainly high-level corporate leaders. And their pragmatic impact, their wealth, their success their happiness, none of that has actually suffered. So I think so often we use the excuse that, oh, if I do that, it will compromise this. Yes, we need to take the step down the rabbit hole and risk all of that. However, it's not binary. And I, I haven't seen, in fact, that, that that needs to translate. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all those resources. We'll put them in the show notes um, when it gets published. Um, if it's okay with you, Alison, I, I'd like to end on a relatively lighter note, if possible, right. and ask you know a couple of quick fire questions. And yeah, yeah. you know, first thought, best thought, <laughs> would be great. Are you more sunset or sunrise? Sunrise at the beach, sunset in the mountains. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, do you prefer a night out or a night in? Night in. Okay. Would you rather travel to the past or travel to the future? neither <laughs> okay i'm very happy living in the present moment okay 
Uh, what's been your guilty TV lockdown pleasure? Oh, so many, so many. Oh, well, I rewatched Scandal. Okay. Yeah, and uh, all the seasons. Wow. It's fantastic. Shonda Rhimes, uh, Kerry Washington stars. Uh, anyone who likes intelligent trash, go get mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, two final questions. Um, I'm a big book lover, uh, as you can probably see behind me, uh, mm -hmm. as I know you are. What's a book that's changed your life? Herman Hess, The Glass Speed Game and Creating Freedom by Raul Martinez. Have to okay. have two. I think I might have to get the Creating Freedom one <laughs> for the obvious connection. And then final question from me, which I've just realized is probably not a quick fire question, but I'm going to ask That's it okay. anyway. I've got apart, time today. Apart from do. who am I and where am I, what's a question that's changed your life? question that's changed my life would you like to go out for dinner <laughs> what a brilliant answer <laughs> that is a brilliant world-class answer Alison. thank you so much thanks um, for I really having appreciate me it was super fun yep super fun really yeah. enjoyed the conversation thank you so much for your insight thank you, and thank you so much for sharing yourself Oh, absolute pleasure. So much love, Pete.